Shabbat Shalom. My name is Noel. I am once again excited to be here with Rob and Michael and the rest of you. This is the di- Diaspora of Yasharel, an online congregation and extension of the community at the Unexpected Cosmology. Now, Diaspora simply refers to the dispersion of the children of Israel from their homeland, also the, the, the Yahudim as well. And if we hold to our Father's commands in the testimony of Yehusha HaMashiach, then that is us, the children of Israel. So, welcome everyone. If you're following in YouTube land later on, I kindly ask that you like and subscribe. Also consider joining our Discord community. I'll add a link below the video. This is certainly an exciting time to be alive, as our Heavenly Father, Yahuwah, the Most High Elohim, has been unveiling many hidden treasures, one of which just so happens to be the Hebrew Gospel of Yochanan. If you've been following along, uh, the Hebrew Gospel of Yochanan is a new introduction on the world. It's only been translated in English within the last few months. It's what we've been reading for the last few weeks, and we'll be continuing tonight, uh, starting with chapter 6, and we'll see how far we get tonight. Because my Wi-Fi connection is still very slow, we are camped out uh, on the beach in our trailer, and I don't want to risk sounding or looking overly robotic tonight. We'll see how long I last on camera, so I may be switching that off in the next minute or so. Let's go ahead and pray and get started. Yahuwah, Most High Elohim, Father of Spirits, the I Am, self-existent and eternal. We love you and seek to be obedient to you only because you first loved us. We love your Torah, your instructions and righteousness, because they are a mirror reflection of your character. We want to better know you, to understand your will, and live eternally in your presence in service to your priesthood. Your word is a lamp in the darkness, and this world is truly dark right now. We desire the water which quenches all thirst in eternity, and we know your son, Yahusha HaMashiach, alone gives that water. Help us understand the mysteries of your kingdom. Clothe us with the wisdom of your set-apart Ruach. Teach us to walk in the footsteps of your son, Yahusha HaMashiach. Thank you for opening our eyes and showing us the truth. We pray these things in your name, in the name of your son, Yahusha HaMashiach, and the Ruach HaKodesh. Amen. I'm going to hand it over to Rob, and he will be starting us off tonight reading from the Hebrew Gospel of John, or Yochanan, chapter 6. Yes, thank you, Noel. I will uh, be reading through to chapter 21, and then after that, handing it off to Michael to finish the chapter, and then Noel will will do chapter 7. All right. So, Yochanan chapter 6, verse 1. After these things, Yeshua went to the outer si- other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And many peoples went after him, because they saw the signs which he did unto those who were sick. So Yeshua went up into the mountain, and there he taught with his disciples. And it was near to the it was it and it was near to the Pesach, the day of feast of the Yadin, when Yeshua lifted up his eyes and saw many peoples coming unto him. He said to Philip, "Where can we buy bread that these people may eat?" This saying was to test him, for he knew what he had to do. Philip answered him, 
200 coins of bread will not be enough for, the, for this people, even if a little is given to everyone. One of his disciples, Andrei, the brother of Shimon Kepha, said to him, Here is a young man who has five loaves of barley bread and two fishes. But what will that be among all of them? Then Yeshua said, Make the people sit down. Now there was great faith in that place. So the people sat down, and there were they were about 5,000 men in number. Then Yeshua took the loaves, and when he had done a prayer of thanksgiving to Yahuwah, he, he divided the bread among the people, and so also the fish. And it was sufficient for them in everything they asked. When they were satisfied, he said unto his Tal Talmudim, Gather that which is left over, that it be not lost. Then they gathered and filled twelve baskets with the morsels which were left over of those who ate. Then the men, <clears throat> then those men, when they had seen the sign which he did, said, This is, the, this is in truth prophet who came into the world. Then Yeshua, who knew that they came unto him in order to lay hold of him and make him king, fled again into the mountain alone. And when it came, became evening, his Talmudim went down to the sea, and after they had gone up into the, the boat, they went across the sea toward Kepha Nakam. Now it was, all, it was evening already, and Yeshua had not yet come to them. And the sea was terrifying, because a great wind which was blowing. When they had gone twenty-five millen, they saw Yeshua walking onto them. When they came near unto them, he turned to them, and they trembled. But he said to them, I am he, do not fear. Then they were willing to receive him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land which they aimed to go to. That is the end of the, those two, which basically is Yeshua feeding the 5,000 and him walking on water. So I will, uh, I will quickly uh, want to touch point on something here of, in chapter 6. Uh, the one thing I wanted to point out on it is on uh, verse 9 the five loaves and two fishes. And I know Michael can expound more on things he, if he has found on five and two uh, symbology in, in the scriptures. But one that I, I, I found interesting uh, also was there's seven species that are talked about in agricultural products when we're talking about the um, uh, Sukkot. The, the seven species and, and so forth. And we, there's two grains and there's five fruits. So I just thought that was something I just wanted to point out with the, the two and the five resembling with the five loaves and the two fish. And I got more, but I'll just start with that and then I'll hand it off to uh, Michael. So that's the definition of stealing my thunder. So <laughs> I was definitely going to hit on that. Um, well, yeah, yeah, that topic, I'm sure, but uh, I didn't know if you were going to hit on the grain and the fruit. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I was. But um, so a few things. So the feeding of the 5,000, that's the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels. 
So I would say that's pretty important. Um, so I'll, I do have some. So let's see. Number seven, um, where it says, Philip answered, 200 coins of bread will not be enough for this people, even if a little is given to everyone. Um, so let's do some math here. Since a denarius was a day's pay, 200 is, is, is approximately eight months' wages. I was researching. So I thought that was interesting that, that it took eight months wages to feed these people in that time. Um, and so I might as well get to my, my two fives. That's my longest one on this part. And then we'll, we'll get everybody else's comments. But, um, so I'm big on numbers. Uh, I'm a numbers guy. I don't know what this means and maybe you guys can help me and hopefully I do it justice, but there's, there's codes within the Bible with the two five. So let me read it again. I, um, here's a young man who has five loaves of barley bread and two fishes, but what will that be among all of them? All right, guys. So there's seven churches in Revelation. Two of them had nothing wrong with them. That's Philadelphia and Smyrna. Five had a bunch wrong with them. So there's your first two five. Um, we go to Lot. There were two angels and five cities. I don't know what that means. Again, there's a two-five connection there. Two fish, five loaves, two churches, five churches, two angels, five cities. We go. I, I, I researched the Galilean wedding model. At a wedding, you would have two witnesses on the groom side, and you would have five bridesmaids or five wise virgins on the woman's side. Again, the two-five. Rob stole my thunder with the seven species. Um, like he said, there's two grains and five fruits, and I have two more on that. Luke 12, 6, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before Yah. Again, a 5-2, a 2-5. And finally, Genesis 45, 6, for the famine has covered the land these two years, and there will be five more years without plowing or harvesting. So I thought that was a pretty cool little thing. I don't know what it means. Maybe you guys can help me with that. But there's definitely a code between a 2-5. Um, I have one more thing, but I'll give it off to Noel and see what he thinks about all this stuff. Well, I had never made that connection before between the the two five. So it sounds like if there's <laughs> if there's uh, five churches that are criticized and two that are not, one of them was of course Philadelphia. Uh, I, I take it that we want to be the two fishes then, right, and not the five uh, loaves of bread. I don't know. Uh, I, so. <laughs> I I never I'd never picked up on that before. Um, so that's really good. This is why this is why I have you guys uh, in my corner because this is amazing. So a couple things that I'll just comment on here is well, first, uh, Rob, I love your I love your screen by the way, like where it's all fuzzy in the background. I need to do something like that. That's really awesome. So this is the first, I think the second, I th it, it may have been the third time I was trying to find all the occurrences of Passover in the Gospel of Yochanan. Here we are, we're in chapter six, and I see at least two, which tells me that if we are going in chronological order, some people have argued that the Gospel of Yochanan is not taken in chronological order. There are very clearly some events that have to be. Um, I'm not necessarily arguing either or, but we've seen a year go by. Because before this, we see uh, he was at Sukkot. And I think, in the was it last week, we looked at him in Sukkot. So, now we've seen about several months go by. 
And it seems like whenever the feasts come around, uh, just like in the Torah community today, that is when uh, <laughs> that's when the stuff goes down. So a lot of drama. So he seems to stir up a lot of problems at that time. Um, the one the one thing that really was uh, a big difference here between the Greek and the Hebrew, and this is right after the the five loaves of barley, two fishes verse. We see Yahushua, uh, well, in the King James, it says this, Jesus said, make the men sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place, which is, you know, it's kind of a fun little side note that there was a lot of grass there uh, in Galilee. And it is a very, if that Galilee in Israel is this Galilee, uh, it truly is a very grassy place. Uh, but that's not what the, the Hebrew gospel says. It says, then Yahush- uh, Yeshua said, make the people sit down. Okay, we got that. Uh, now there was great faith in that place. And that's obviously very different than there was great grass in that place. So, um, and I- I've been thinking a lot about this, and Yeshua seems to be one of those kind of guys that he's he's not that interested in revealing himself to people who don't believe in him. Uh, we'll see that. We'll see that later on tonight as we read more where he talks about how um, the father gives him his people and everybody else, if, if they don't believe in him, if they don't, whatever, they don't respond to him in a certain way, it's because the father hasn't given them. So he's, and, and we'll even see where he, um, he actually becomes very repulsive to people on on purpose to scatter people. And anyways, I thought this was really interesting that he only decided to do this miracle, it appears, because there was great faith in that place. In other words, he doesn't appear to be distributing the the bread and the two fishes uh, in order to make them believe in him. He's doing it because there was already great faith there, and we see that um, we see the results of that a little bit further down, where in verse fifteen it says, "Then Yeshua, who knew that they came unto him in order to lay hold of him uh, and make him king." So, so we see what happens when people do have faith in him; they want to make him a king. And when they don't have faith in him, they want to kill him. And we're going to see that wildly contrasted uh, tonight. And yeah, I don't really know how else to sum that up, except for the fact that he's always running and hiding. Uh, Yeshua is one guy who like, he had to, we see him, we'll see him later on tonight. He's hiding from people because they want to kill him. And it's not his time to be killed yet. And now he has to hide from these people because they want to make him a king. And it's not his time to be king yet. So, um, that hand it back to you, Rob. Okay, great. Uh, I'm going to add on to that. Uh, the what I wanted to say with the feeding of the five thousand is well. First, I want to start with we see Yeshua praying to Yahuwah for Thanksgiving uh, to feed the people. So, as we continuously read this we continuously see the son always going to the father for something you know for his will to be done and it 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 just reminds us how humble the son is and how the the son is obedient to the father's will and i know in my past i really didn't see and grasp this coming out of the evangelical side i just saw it as 
you, you know, Jesus has all power and, and so forth. But when you look at it with these lenses, you'll see that everything had to be through the Father. He did. He, he was doing everything that the Father willed. So keep that in mind. Uh, he was uh, fully obedient and subject to the Father. So as Noel was speaking, that the faith, that their faith was so great that uh, Yeshua was like, okay, let's do this. And it reminds me uh, of the, the miracle with the water and the wine where Miriam uh, had the faith in her son, you know, in Yeshua, to provide wine at this, at, at this uh, wedding ceremony. So uh, that, that just re reminds me that she had this faith. She knew. She trusted. She was like, do whatever he says, and it will, it will happen. So... I just I just tied that into that, and I thought that was great. Uh, we also know in Matthew when they speak about the five thousand that it was it was specifically speaking of five thousand men, and then it also says uh, who ate besides women and children. So if that is if that is how I read it, that was five thousand men plus the women and children. So if that is the case, then that could have been double to triple the amount of of mouths to feed there. Um. Uh, so also also note the people of great faith gathered in a remote area, okay, and were provided for. What does that remind you of? These people with great faith gathered in a remote area and they're provided for by the sun, you know, through feeding them and, and taking care of them. I think this story is symbolic of the uh, harvest spoken about in Matthew and in Revelation. Uh, Yochanan the Immerser says in Matthew 3.12, uh, his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly cleanse his threshing floor. He will gather his wheat into the barn, but his chaff he will burn up with unquenchable fire. Uh, and this scene is also spoken in uh, Revelation 14. So, that's how I see, you know, this 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 event happening with the, some of the symbology and and linking it in to the harvest and also the twelve baskets full of pieces. To me, symbolizes the twelve tribes of the peoples to enter into the kingdom. So that's that's what I I, I grabbed out of this story. That is also symbolic uh, for what we are to see to come. So with that, I'll pass it over to Michael to comment and share more. Um, I just wanted to add on number 15 um, that Noel, Noel mentioned. Um, then Yeshua, who knew that they came unto him in order to lay hold of him and make him king, fled again into the mountain alone. That The other Gospels didn't mention that they wanted to make him king like John does. So I thought that was, that's a difference between, between John and the rest of the Gospels. Um, the only thing else I have in this part before I can read mine, but I'll give it up to Noel for one last time, is... Um, in five, Philip says, where can we buy bread that these people may eat? And there's a cross-reference between Noah, Numbers 11, 13. Where am I to get meat to give to all these people? For they weep before me, saying, give us meat so that we may eat. So I don't know that, I didn't, I didn't never realize that there is possibly a difference between Philip and Noah. But I thought that was cool that uh, they both uh, kind of said the same thing and showed a lack of faith. I guess that's not cool, but... Um, Lack of faith. Um, that's all I have for this section. Uh, no, do you have anything else, or do you want me to start reading? 
I've got one other little fun tid- tidbit to show throw in. So th- this is nothing that is necessarily unique to the Hebrew gospel, but it was something that um, stuck out to me when I was reading it this week. I went through, I read through this, you know, th- about three or four times this week in preparation, and and every time it it, it was so strange how Yahusha he's he's walking on the water. And of course, there's this big storm, but it seems like as soon as he gets in the boat, it's like, dink, they hit the land. It says, in, uh, it says then they were willing to receive him into the boat. So they, they, had, they were a little spooked by him. They're a little freaked out. And they're like, okay, we'll, we'll, take, we'll, we'll bring you on. And it says, and immediately. So he gets on the boat and immediately the boat was at the land, which they aimed to go. That's just really... Um, Interesting, but it's not the first time that happened in Scripture. And this comes from the Aramaic Targum. This is uh, Genesis 28.10 in the Aramaic Targum. This was uh, last week's uh, Torah portion, if you guys are on my schedule. And this week we saw the other end of this. But this is when, I'm not going to read this whole portion. This is just interesting little footnote. When Yaakov is on his way to uh, be enslaved by Lebanon, uh, Laban, who is actually his mother's brother, he's um, you know he goes he he goes to uh, Mount Moriah or Mount Zion, and you know the 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 rocks become the the one pillar. That's one of the miracles that happens there. And it says there were actually five signs that happened there that night, and what the fifth sign was this: the country was shortened before him, so that in one day. He went forth and came to Haran. And then, of course, on his trip home, when he's got uh, four wives, uh, technically uh, two wives, two concubines, 12 sons and a daughter, he, um, it, again, like he makes up for that time, oddly enough. But it just it reminded me of that, that, you know, the, the trip from, uh, from Canaan to Babylon would have, should have been taken weeks. But he just, it's the same thing, kind of like, dink, he's just, he's just there. So, that's that stuck out to me right there. And uh, anyways, go ahead, Michael, and start reading. I think Rob has one more thing, though. Right, Rob? Yeah, yeah. Actually, the one the one thing uh, Noel, Noel brought up there was, you know, I wanted to ask, <laughs> so did the boat teleport as soon as he stepped in there to the, to the, to the uh, shore? And then another thing I wanted to point out again, and we saw this before, but the mountain is mentioned twice in, in, in these verses here as Yeshua going to the mountain. And I just, I don't know, every time I see mountain now, it's always, it always sticks out to me uh, when and each time key things happen uh, upon a mountain. That's all. Well, you know, teleporter, it, not, it's, it's something obviously very otherworldly happened. And the other thing I was thinking of is um, everyone probably has seen the movie, The Truman Show. And, you know, uh, Truman, or played by Jim Carrey, he's in his boat and he's he's trying to sail to see how far he can go. And it looks like he's going right for the sky, like the clouds, and then it like crashes right into it. Kind of, I don't know. I don't know why that picture came to mind. But it's the same sort of like this, I guess in that sense, it was more of an illusion. He thought he had further to go, and then he hits the, the I think he crashed into the staircase leading out through the door in the sky. Um, so, I don't know. But it's just a cool little uh, story that obviously, you know, something that was personal to Yokanan, uh, that he 
you know, it, it, yeah. Anyways, that's all I have on that. Alrighty, I will uh, continue the chapter. So this is John, Yokinen 6, starting on 22. So on the next day, across the sea, they saw that the other little boat was not there, and that he was not there, only the one boat, and that Yeshua did not enter into the boat with Talmudim, but his Talmudim went alone. However, other boats did come from Tiberias, to that place where they ate the bread and did a prayer of thanksgiving to El. So when the people saw that Yeshua was not there, nor his Talmudim, they went up into the boats and came in Kafir Nacum, seeking Yeshua. And when they had found him across the sea, they asked, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you come here? So Yeshua answered them and said, Truth I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you have seen signs, only because you ate bread and were satisfied by it. You were made not for food that perishes, whosoever perishes, but for food that abides into everlasting life, that which the Son of Man will give to you. For, for El the Father signifies this. So they said to him, What should we do that we may be able to do good works to El? Yeshua answered and said to them, this is the work of El that you believe in, in he whom he sent me. Then they said to him, What sign do you do that we may see it and believe you? What work do you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread of heaven to eat. So Yeshua said to them, Truth I say to you, Moshe did not give you bread of heaven, but my father gives you true bread from the heavens, and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Adon, may this bread be given to us all the time. Then Yeshua said to them, I am the bread of life. Whosoever comes unto me will not be hungry. And whosoever believes in me will not have thirst in eternity. But this I say to you, because you saw me and yet you did not believe in me. Everyone the Father gave, gave me comes to me. And he who comes to me I will not cast out. For I, I descend from the heavens, not in order to do my will, only the will of him who sent me. And this is his will, that all these which hath given me, I should not let any of them be destroyed but that I should raise them up in the last day. For this is the will of the Father who sent me, that every man who chooses the Son and believes will have everlasting life, and I will raise him up alive in the last day. Then the Yehudim whispered to each other because of him, because he had said, I am the bread who descended from the heavens. And they said, Is this not the son of Yosef, from the father and mother whom we know? In what way does he say that he descended from the heavens? So Yeshua answered and said to them, Do not murmur against me. None is able to come unto me, except if the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up in the last day. For it is written in the prophets, and all of them will be taught of El. Every man who hears from the Father after that, he will come unto me. Not because any of them have, has seen the Father, except he who is from the Father, and he, he has seen the Father. Truth I say to you, he who believes in me, he has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is he who descended from the heavens, in order that he who eats of him will not die. I am the bread of life who descended from the heavens, that if someone eats this bread, he may exist forever. And the bread which I, I will give you is my flesh for eternal existence. Therefore the Yehudim disputed among themselves, saying, How is this one able to give us flesh to eat? So Yeshua said to them, Truth I say to you, if you do not eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and do not drink his blood, you will not have life. But whosoever eats my flesh and whosoever drinks my blood will have everlasting life. And I, I will raise him up in the last day. For my flesh is true fruit and my blood is true drink, the true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. 
as the Father had sent me, and I am alive because of the Father. So he who eats me is alive because of me. This is the bread who descended from the heavens, not as your fathers ate in the manna, ate the manna and died. Whosoever eats this bread will live for eternity. These things he said in the house of the assembly, teaching in Capernaum. Then many of his Talmudim said this, This word is hard, who is able to obey it? And when Yeshua heard their measure of faith, he said, Who will terrify you? When you see the Son of Man ascending where he had been first, it is the Ruach that makes alive, the flesh does not benefit anyone. The words that I spoke to you are Ruach and life. But some of you are those who do not believe, for Yeshua, who knows former things, knew whom they were who believed, and who would deliver him up. And he said, Because of this have I said to you that no one is able to come unto me, except if it is given to him of my Father. Because of this, many of his Talmudim returned back, and many did not walk with him anymore. Then Yeshua said to twelve who remained, Do you also want to go? So Shimon Kepha answered, Edom, to whom can we go? The words of everlasting life are yours, and we believe you, and we know that you are Mashiach, the son of El. Then Yeshua answered him, and said, did, I did, I not, did not I, I choose you twelve? One of you is an adversary. And he said this of Yehuda Ish Karat, that this one would betray him, who was one of the twelve. I think Noel's up next for commentary. The older I get, uh, the more, the longer I'm in this, the more I appreciate this passage. Uh, I'm, I think I'm just really beginning to maybe wrap my head around this and grasp this. I, I have struggled with this chapter my entire life, and the key, one of the key. Verses here or phrases is when the Talmudim say this this word is hard. Who is able to obey it? Like and how how could you obey that? Right? How could you eat his flesh? Right? How could you take part in cannibalism and still obey Torah? And as of course we know, that's not what he's talking about. He explains a little further down uh, that he's still keeping in the context of what he continually says in almost every single encounter that we've so far seen in John. Um, but this is what I was saying earlier, uh, 20 minutes ago or so about how these people who had faith and he, he breaks the bread and the fish and distributes it. They want to seize him and make him a king immediately. And Yahusha is like, I'm out of here. And he flees, right? He's like, this isn't my time yet. He's constantly having to, uh, just turn people away. He's constantly telling people, don't talk about what I'm doing. You know, don't, uh, don't announce my miracles. And so the reason I, I, I'm, uh, appreciate this more is that this is one of the, the chapters that actually came up in, in this last year when I would have, uh, when there was, uh, you know, when I encountered many people walking away from Messiah and rejecting Messiah, they would bring up this chapter in John chapter, uh, I think we're still in six and about the eating his flesh and be like, you know, why would, why would he say that? That's disgusting. You know, that no, my Messiah would never say that, you know? And, and here's the thing, like, who's saying the father, the, the father gives me who he wants to give me. Okay. Uh, he said here, um, you know, I should not let any of them be destroyed. All right. And, and then there's all these other people who are not going to get it. And so what we're seeing, Yahushua, I, what I believe we're seeing Yahushua doing here is trying to prune the flock and repulse people. He's trying to, and it still works to this very day because my point was people read this today 
and they're repulsed by it. Um, and of course, if we give it the context, we understand what he's saying. Um, so I'm curious to, uh, Rob, what you think about this chapter. Yeah, uh, I agree with you regarding the the pruning. And as we saw in many instances where Yeshua is saying that he speaks in parables for a reason. And it's, it's for uh, those who have the ears to hear and, and the rest. It is, it's just not for them until either A, they're ready, or it's just not going to be for them. Um, so, yes, I agree. And I'm going to expound more on this. I got, I got, I don't know, I, I've kind of made notes throughout each one of these, so I, and I didn't summarize it. So I'm going to, I'll start with uh, the bread and the water. When he's talking about it in uh, 35, the bread of life and thirsting, you know, not ha not having thirst in eternity. And I link that up with uh, two passages in Sirach, 15, 1 through 3, for he who fears Yahweh will do this. And he who takes hold of the law will approach wisdom. And then she will meet him like his mother and like the wife of his youth, she will receive him. And then she will give him the bread of understanding to eat, and she will give him the waters of wisdom to drink. And you can tie that right in with what Yeshua is saying. When you understand wisdom being the, the Ruach, HaKodesh, and what she is doing compared with this bread and this water to the bread and the water of not thirsting that Yeshua is referencing, and he talks about the springs coming out forth of the belly. It's all a reference to the Ruach. So taking all of this in context, you can you 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 can piece this together and understand what he's saying. Because also in Sirach, um, Sirach twenty nine twenty one, the main uh, the main thing for life is water, and bread, and a garment and a house to cover nakedness. So it's stating the main things in life is water and bread to obviously sustain you. You know your your physical physical self, and then a garment to clothe yourself and a house to have, have over you. So if, if we look at these, these four things, water is always in reference with uh, wisdom and the fear of Yah in, the, in, in this sense. Uh, so wisdom, fear, Yah. Bread is life, understanding, and Torah. Uh, the garment is the robes of righteousness, which we've, we've gone over that before, and the house is obviously the kingdom. So so when you when you read this in the when he's speaking about the bread of life uh, and understanding that and and not uh, going into the getting not getting lost into the flesh part, then you can understand that because I, I have more on the the flesh that okay so okay so in Verses. I'm gonna skip. I guess I'll skip around since I'm on this topic. I'll just I'll add to the uh, flesh. In verses 48 through 63, we see that the figurative comparisons of eating or consuming the bread of life to flesh, which he says is true food, and to blood, which he says is tr true drink. But then he explains it in verses 62 and 63. Who will testify you when? You, when you see the Son of Man ascending into heaven, the Ruach makes alive, 
So in context, he was he was just speaking about entrusting in him. You know, he who believes in me will have eternal life. So entrusting in him for eternal life, using figurative speech and compare comparing it to bread, flesh, and blood. These references come uh, from the Torah on the manna and the writings that are spoken of, of the flesh and blood of the sacrifice to come. So in 63, he, clear, he clearly states the flesh is of no benefit and that, it, it, that, and that is what they were confused about. But he was speaking figuratively of the Ruach and life. So the... So when you understand that he's talking about spirit, the spiritual matters, and they were totally stuck once again in the physical uh, aspects of it, just like what Nicodemus talking about, how can you, how can one be born again from the mother? So it, it, it's 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 these literal uh, views that they are taking, and we see it over and over and over, and not uh, grasping the the spiritual from above meanings of what he's trying to convey here. So I'll, I'll, I'll speak to that, and then I'll come back with some more. Uh, over to you, Michael. Okay. Um, I, I'll do the same. I'll split. Um, number 23. So, however, other boats did come to, from Tiberias to that place where they ate the bread and did a prayer of thanksgiving. That's a huge difference from the Greek. And wouldn't you know, it's because the prayer of thanksgiving is in Leviticus. Um, I want to read that for you. It's uh, Leviticus 7.11. Now, this is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings, which shall be presented to the Lord. If he offers it by the way of thanksgiving, then along with the sacrifice of thanksgiving, he shall offer unleavened cakes mixed with oil and unleavened wafers spread with oil and cakes of well-stirred fine flour mixed with oil. So I just want to highlight that it did mention the bread and the prayer, which is, that's Torah. So he was doing Torah where the Greek totally, I mean, doesn't give it justice, says he gives thanks. but. I mean, what, yeah. what verse is that? Uh, 23. Okay. Yep. Um, so I thought that was awesome. As far as the Hebrew, it definitely made it more Hebrew and pushed it back to the Torah instead of just a generic give thanks. Um, number 35. Uh, let's see. Then Yeshua said to them, I am the bread of life. Whosoever comes unto me will not be hungry, and whosoever believes in me will not have thirst in eternity. And I just wanted to, you know, we'll get to these eventually, but this is the first of seven I am statements from Yeshua. So he says, I am the bread of life in John. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the truth and the life. And I'm the true vine. So I thought that was cool that he's, this is where he starts his I am statements. And it's, it's called the, yeah, the I am statements from Yeshua. Um, this will be my last thing before I split it up. And I have some more at the end of the chapter, but um, number 39, I want to read both the Greek and the Hebrew. And so this is, and this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that all that of all which hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And in the Hebrew, and this is his will, that all these which he gave me, I should not let any of them be destroyed, but that I should raise them up in the last day. So there's a big difference there. They're both talking about the last day. They're both talking about being given things from the Father, but the difference is that of all which he has given me, I should lose nothing. I should lose nothing. What does that even mean? And But in the Hebrew, it's more clear. It says, all that which he has get, gave me, I should not let any of them be destroyed. And I would say that's, that's huge because 
you know, if you read Revelation, so what do you actually save from? What are people saved from? They, they use that term, they throw it around, but in reality, you're saved from the second death, and that means your soul is destroyed. Um, that's, that's what you're saved from. Everybody will die once, for the most part, but you are saved from that second death. You will be resurrected and given eternal life instead of thrown into the lake of fire. And I just thought the Hebrew did a lot better. That literally says, you know, those who he gives me, I will not, they will not be destroyed. Where in the Greek, it just says lose nothing. So I'll get off to Noah. I have a couple more, but it's at the end of the chapter. So I'll let Noah continue. Well, I'm glad you actually mentioned that because this has, of course, been a big passion of mine, too, about it's almost not um, taboo, I guess, in in Torah pursuant um, circles to talk about the soul being destroyed. But I remember before, this is one of the things that led me to Torah, um, to the truth of Torah, and I was investigating this idea of hell being a pagan, mytho a German mythological location and how that we shouldn't confuse that with the lake fire uh or sheol and how it it does it, it seems very apparent that those who cash in their inheritance to receive it now they will receive their lot with with satan and his angels being cast into the lake of fire and that they will be destroyed and i'm, I'm going to call you know uh translator bias here uh, the, the person bringing it into greek that they I don't. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to just you know villainize this person, but it, it's it's so interesting because the Greeks were not into this idea. From all that I've uh, understood from the Greeks, they were into eternal torment. And so, if you're going to change anything, you're going translating from the Hebrew and the Greek. You're going to leave out this idea of being destroyed. Just wanted to point that out, and thank you, Michael, for commenting on that. I wanted to go back to my one last point at the end of this chapter and, and going back to my point of why this, why this segment in the life of Yahushua make, makes more sense to me and becomes more meaningful as the years go by as I'm in the ministry and I'm watching more and more people leave and walk away. And at the end of this, I mean, Yahushua, right? So the contrast is these people want to make him king they're rushing across to the other side of the lake to meet up with them and he's like i'm gonna i'm gonna repulse these guys i'm gonna these the father did not give me these people i'm gonna just you know and as rob pointed out he was actually speaking according to torah but they were thinking fleshly not spiritual just like nicodemus um but i want to point out that it says here that then Yahushua said to the 12 who remained, only 12 remained. Of all those people that he fed, or whoever came over, only 12 remained, and they were his disciples. He even, he's still like, uh, you know, uh, whittling it down by saying, one of you is a, is a devil. Uh, oh no, he doesn't say one of them is a devil there. He says, one of you would, um, one of you is an adversary. And he says in the Greek, a devil, which is the same thing. But I love Peter's response, Kepha's response. Now, keep in mind that if Kepha were to argue with these other people who were turning away, Kepha would have lost the debate. He says here, uh, you know, these, these teachings were so hard for them to understand. And it says, because of this, many of his Talmudim returned back and many did not walk with him anymore. Like, they were done. They're like, I can't, no, he's not the Messiah. I'm not following this guy. I'm done. 
even after the resurrection, they were done. Then Yeshua said to the twelve who remained, Do you also want to go? So Shimon Kepha answered, Adon, to whom can we go? The words of everlasting life are yours. And I love that because Kepha, again, I, I really believe if you were to debate the others there on Torah and, you know, the, the flesh and eating his flesh and all that, I don't, I, he might have been like, I'm sorry guys, I can't explain this. This is a hard teaching for me. But at the end of the day, even though he couldn't ex explain it then, he knew who Yahushua was. He knew he was Messiah, or in his words, the words of everlasting life are yours. And this is how I have felt so many times in my own walk when I've had uh, trusted friends or other people that I was in the ministry with who, are, are, who throw these questions my way that I can't answer. And they're like, see, that, that proves this is all wrong. I'm like, no, it doesn't prove it's all wrong. It means I can't answer it at this moment. But all I know is, is that Yahusha is the way, the truth, and life. And this is what Kifa clung to. And, you know, it obviously worked out for him. So back to you, Rob. Okay, I'm going to tackle what Michael was saying and then follow up with Knowles and then uh, hand it off. But then I got a third one and that I'll tackle on the he who believes in me has eternal life. I'll do that one last. Okay, so following up with Michael, <clears throat> I, wa I wanted to uh, talk about you mentioned the lake of fire and destruction. Uh, we 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 can look at like start with like verse thirty seven to thirty nine. Um, why will you, you Yeshua not cast you out? Okay, because the Father gave them to him. We see in six thirty nine it says that, and he is obedient. But you still you still can make a choice. I believe everyone can make a choice. But uh, the Father gives gives us to Yeshua. And and then here we, okay, so in verse 39, he gave and not let any of them be destroyed. Here we see Yah has given the, given the righteous to the Son who will raise them. And, and, then we, and then we read, looking at this verse in Psalms 37, 38 through 40, it says, but the lawbreakers shall be utterly destroyed together. The leftovers of the impious shall be utterly destroyed. But deliverance of the just is by Yahweh, and the defender is he in time of affliction. And Yahweh helps them and shall rescue them, and he shall take them away from the sinners, and he shall deliver them, for they hoped upon him. So we see here in Psalms talking about what what Yahuwah will do, and him speaking, uh, referencing to the Son, because the Son's going to do that. Uh, he'll he'll be the 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 agent, so to speak, that's going to be doing that for him. The Son will be doing that, rescuing them and uh, taking them away and delivering them. So that, and then we see in 44, it also talk about the Father who, who sent them. So the Father sends pe people to the Son. And so that's what I wanted to follow up with Michael on, on that part with the destruction and, uh, and those. And then I'll, I'll, I'll hit on Noel talking about uh, John 6, verse 66. 
And this one always stands out to me. It's the 666, John 666. And it, 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 it really answers that, uh, the thing in Revelation where we're all looking at the chosen and the, those who are not and so forth. So if we look at 65 and 66, so Yahushua's repeat, okay, so in 65, and he said, because of this, have I said to you that no one is able to come to me except if it, if it is given to him by the Father. Uh, he's repeating verse 44, what I, what I just was covering there. Um, and this must have, okay, so this must have convicted them, the, 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 the Talmudim that were following him, uh, of what he was saying was, was not jiving with their interpretation of the Torah. Because remember, we were talking about they were interpreting it literally and not spiritually. And that they were uh, there for nefarious reasons or for miracles. You know, some were there to, you know, for, you know, to crucify him, so to speak, or, you know, and so forth. And others were there for the miracles. So when they were called out, they departed, similar to the rich young ruler scene where, you know, he tells him what he needs to do because he knew his heart and he just couldn't, couldn't do it. So in, in, in 66, you know, it talks about many of his Talmudim returned back and many uh, did not walk with him anymore. And it appears that only the 12 remained. And if you think about that, all the religions in the world who know Jesus and, and follow Jesus, and we know that those who are grafted in, those who are in Israel, will go into the kingdom. And the kingdom, it has 12 gates. It's only 12 gates. And only the 12 disciples, as here, were the ones that remained. So only 12 will go into the gates uh, of, of the kingdom. And so we, uh, those who believe and remain faithful and trust him and love him and believe upon him, we will be the ones that will be the 12 that enter into the gate of the, the 12 of the tribes of Israel. And we all know that the Ruach HaKodesh only dwells in the house of Israel. And Yeshua stated, we read this already, that he came for the house of Israel. So right here, it's another picture uh, that I see with, with, tying, with tying that in. So with that, I'll hand it over to Michael, and then I got one last thing after that to share. I don't have much. Uh, I was going to hit on 66. I'll, but the first thing, um, I just want to, I guess, concentrate on the grumbling part. Um, to me, that hit me. Uh, we, all, we all do it, right? We all murmur. We grumble. Um, but I, I noticed that in number 61, when you, Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? In the Hebrew, it says, and when Yeshua heard their measure of faith, he said, who will terrify you? And that was a big difference. Um, in the Hebrew, it, talk, you know, it does talk about murmuring above it. But I just want to point out that that's complaining, murmuring. That's a measure of your faith. That's a lack of faith. And that should scare you. Like, uh, And I'm speaking to myself there. That That's a measure of your faith when you complain to him. And I just have one cross-reference. Um, Exodus 16 too, but the whole congregations of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And Moses said, this will happen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and bread to the, to the full in the morning. For the Lord hears your grumblings, which you grumble against him. 
And what are we? Your grumblings are not against us, but against the Lord. So just, I guess, just be aware that when you complain, you're doing it against the, the Most High. And that, that's, that scares me, I'll say. It's a, it's a lack of measure in your faith. Um, Rob pretty much hit on the 66. I thought that was interesting. I, I tried to do a few minutes of research to see if there was any other books with chapter 6, 66 verses, and I couldn't find it. And as we know, 666 is the, you know, the mark of the man or the beast. And it's just interesting that that number is tied to people who don't walk with him and, and do what he does. <laughs> only, only his Talmudim returned back. So there's definitely nothing, I don't think anything's by chance um, that really just struck with me that if you are following him, you know, you don't have to worry about the 666 part, but. That's all I got for chapter six. I'll get off the knoll, and then I think Rob has some more stuff. I'd be interested in hearing what Rob has to say. Okay, I'm just going to follow up on part of uh, what Michael was talking about, the murmuring, and then also salvation. Um, and I know Michael and I have talked about salvation topic in general, and we we've accumulated some things to talk about that and and that would that would take a, like at least a 30 60 minute presentation on salvation or maybe even longer uh that that we would have but i'm going to touch on 40 45 here for it is written in the prophets and all of them will be taught of l and every man who hears of father and all of that come unto he will come unto me so remember here uh Yeshua is speaking to the murmuring Jews when he when this when this is being stated here uh, that that it was said the prophets wrote all of them will will be taught of El everyone who hears from the Father afterwards will come unto Yahusha and they will be all instructed of Yah they will be all instructed of Yah everyone who hears from the Father. Everyone then hearing from the Father and having learned comes to me. So all those who have been instructed by Yah, who hear from the Father, will come to him. And it, to me, as I'm reading that, it, it, it's, it's, it's like those who are doing the spirit of the law, I believe the Father is calling them uh, those who have that heart for, for that, he's calling them to come, come unto his son and to his word and so forth. Because um, it says, all that are taught of El, is that not the Torah? Uh, this is one of those verses, if taken of itself, it would exclude tons of people. So if, if you're taking the verse as, as if you just read it face value, it's like, okay, only those who are following Torah the Father sends to the Son, if you take it at face value. Uh, but we see elsewhere in scriptures, the rewards and the favor of Yah for our love of him shown by our obedience and fruit. Note I said shown and not earned, because I know people will jump on that. Oh, you're saying, you know, you got to earn your salvation. No. Um, so I wanted to just point that out on that specific verse, what I think it's, 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 it's saying on it. And, and then in 47, here is where we have, truly I say to you, he who believes in me has eternal life. Okay, the, 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 here again is another scripture. If taken by itself simply, 
simply in applying it alone, it creates a thought of believing he is real and you're all set. You know, believe in him and, you, you know, you're good. But we all know that in scriptures it says even the demons believe and tremble. So we know it just can't mean that you just believe because even the demons believe. So you, know, you look at the word believes in the Greek uh, for this, it's, uh, it's G4100, is entrust, commit to trust. So this is ongoing, perpetual. So And that's where a lot of the uh, uh, modern evangelical areas may may not grasp this as a, especially the once saved, always saved, I guess you would say, is just this one action and then you're, you're sealed. I caution that because the word is entrusting in, commit to trust. It's, it's, it's something that you must, uh, must do. And as everything, we always have a choice to deny something after you do something or stop doing something that you start doing and so forth. So I, I just wanted to mention that um, because in uh, if you were to take that, look at verse 48, I am the bread of life. If we take that verse of itself, we see that it, he claims to be the bread of life. Do you think that he was baked? Uh, you know, if you just take that one verse, you know, Yeshua is claiming to be the bread of life. Is he, you know, are you going to take that literal? Say he's baked. <laughs> so t taking this in context and using other scriptures, we see this as figurative speech that he's talking about relating to the spiritual matters uh, that are above that have a deeper understanding and meaning. So I just wanted to touch on the belief part right here in, in there so that if this comes up, uh, just keep in mind that it's in trust, commit to trust. Um, and when you take everything in, in context, you get a deeper understanding of what it means to trust and believe in the Son. So I, I think that was well, all I wanted to add to that. Do you guys have anything, Michael? Uh, no, I'm done with six. All right, well, then, if you guys are ready, I'm going to go ahead and read chapter 7. All right, well, let's do it. Chapter 7. After these things, Yeshua went into Galilee, for he did not want to go into Yehuda, because the Yahudim were seeking him to put him to death. Now, it was near the feast day of the Yahudim, called Sukkot. Then one said to him, Depart from here and go into Yehuda, that your Talmudi may see your works, which you do. For he who wants to publicize himself to all does not do anything in secret. If you do these things, publicize yourself to the world. For his brothers had not yet believed in him. Then Yeshua said to them, My time, O man, has not yet come, but with you all time is ready. The world cannot be angry with you, but it is angry with me because I bear witness against it, that its works are evil. You will try to kill me in this day of the feast, but my time is not yet fulfilled. When he said these things, he was in Galilee, And when his brothers went up into Yerushalayim in the day of the feast, then he went up too, not openly, but just in hiding. And then the Yahudim sought him in the day of the feast and said, Where is he? And a great number of the people murmured about him. For some said, he is good, and others, he is not. 
but he makes the peoples rebellious. However, none of them spoke of him openly because of the Yahudim. But in the middle of the feast, Yeshua went up into the sanctuary and taught. And the Yahudim were astonished and said, How does this one who did not learn know literature? Yeshua answered and said, My teaching is not mine, but it is from him who sent me. If any man desires to do the desire of El, he will recognize the teaching, whether it is from El, or if his word is from himself. Whosoever speaks of himself seeks his own honor. Truly, whosoever seeks a sign of him who sent him, he does not have true seed in him. Did not Moshe give you the law, that none of you should diminish or lessen the law? Why do you want to put me to death? The company answered and said, It is Satan who wants to kill you. Yeshua answered and said to them, I, I did one work, and all of you marveled because of this. Moshe gave you the covenant of circumcision, not that the word was from Moshe, but from the fathers, and on the Shabbat you circumcise men. If a man goes into a covenant assault on the Shabbat, and he does not loosen himself, is the law of Moshe destroyed? Why are you angry at me because I heal everyone on the, uh, on the Sabbath? Therefore, do not judge according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. So some of the sons of Yerushalayim said, It is not this man whom we want to put to death? Behold, he speaks openly but we do not say anything to him. Do the leaders truly recognize that this is Mashiach? However, do we know, oh, excuse me, however, do we not know this man, where he is from? And Mashiach, when he comes, no man will know where he is from. Then Yeshua called out in the sanctuary and taught and said, And I, do you know where I am from? Do you know that I did not come from myself, but from him who sent me? It is true that you, you do not know him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I will become a liar just like you. But I know that I am from him and that he sent me. Then they wanted to lay hold of him, but none of them laid their hands on him because his time had not yet come. And many of the company believed in him and said, Mashiach, when he comes, he will do more miracles than this man? When the Perishim heard that the company murmured of those things, the rulers with the Perishim sent servants that they, should lay hold of, that they should lay hold of him. Then Yeshua said to them, You have little time. Afterwards, the Father who sent me will come to seek me, but you will not find me. You were not able to come to the place where I will be. And in the great day of the feast, Yeshua stood calling out and saying, If anyone does come unto me, he will drink. Whosoever believes in me, as the scripture says, a stream of living water will run from his belly. And he said this concerning Ruach HaKodesh, which those who believe in him would receive. For he had not yet given the Ruach, because Yeshua had not yet come into the light of the Most High. Then some of the crowd of the people, when they heard his word, said, This is the true prophet. And others said, This is Mashiach. But others said, Will Mashiach come from Gilalah? Does not the scripture say that Mashiach will come from the seed of David and from the city Beit Lechem, where David was? 
And in this controversy, the people disputed because of him, and some wanted to lay hold of him. However, none of them laid their hands on him. Then those who were sent returned to the rulers and perishim, but they said to them, Why did you not bring him? Those who were sent answered and said, From eternity we have not heard anyone speak his words like that man speaks. Then the perishim answered them, Does he also deceive you in this? Do you not see that none of the leaders of the perishim believe in him? However, this company who does not know the law is cursed. But Nicodemus, who came to Yeshua in the night, who was with them, said to them, Do you not know that your Torah does not judge one unless it first hears him, or unless it knows what he does? So they answered and said to him, Are you a Galilean? Search the scriptures, and you will find that no prophet comes from Gilala. All right, Rob, back over to you. All right. All right. Um, with this story, with these topics here, I have just a few things I want to add. Um, in regards to uh, uh, Yeshua saying in verse verse five, it says here. Well, it's it, it's speaking to who who the brothers were. It says, for, for his brothers had yet not believed in him, this, this comment here. And we see in the writings in Psalm 69, 8, uh, it is written, I have become a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mother's children. So we see that being written back then of this being fulfilled in just this statement here. They had not, not yet believed in him. And in verses 3 through 8, talking about, the brethren uh here it, it 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 appears that it was his his brothers because he's in galilee uh, galilee back in his home hometown and uh it's not 100 percent clear if it's his literal brother half brothers or if it's his brethren of countrymen but uh they definitely encouraged him to go you know they were like go uh Get uh, maybe maybe a word that we would use now. Go be famous, or go publicize yourself, or uh, publish yourself, uh, etc. For people to know who you are, what you're here, and etc. But Yeshua still knowing his time and to reserve and and humbly share these things. He he did not want to go because also he knew that the crowds the crowds would would kill him there. Uh, so, so I wanted to speak to that. And then another one here is in verse 17. If any man desires to do the desire of El, he will recognize the teachings, whether it is from El or if it is a word, if, or if the word is from himself. And that, that's a big thing because many people will say, oh, I had a word from, from Yah today and it told me to do the, you know, this, or I had, they make these comments and that, and we obviously we need to be very careful when we make these statements, and we need to test these test these words that that we are given. So with that, I just had two verses that talk about. Well, they touch on that is in Psalms one nineteen forty seven, and I will delight myself in your commandments, which I love. So the desires of El is delighting yourself in the in the commandments in the Torah, 
which you love. So that's that's tying in with what the desires of El is. And Sirach 32, 15, he that seeks the law shall be filled with it, but the hypocrite shall stumble by it. So so I just wanted to add more or less add that to that to those few comments for the first uh first 18 verses. You guys have anything to reply on that or if you want to share what you have. Sure. Um, um I want to start off with number 15. Uh, in the Greek it says, And the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man's letters, having never learned? And in the Hebrew it says, And the Yehudim were astonished, and said, How does this one who did not learn know literature? So a few things on that. It's, it's kind of interesting. Like it, it appears like they didn't even know who he was. Like They didn't, was, was Yeshua hiding as a kid and just appeared at age 30? started during his ministry. I know in Luke 2, he talks about him being in the temples, but I guess that was in a different city or something. So I, was, I thought that was interesting that it appeared, they've never seen the guy before. And they, and it also, you know, kind of shows that you don't, you don't need official teaching, right, or a seminary, right? Um, that's where they're getting their, their stage, um, their privilege, I guess. So I, that, that was two things on that, where it's like... The, they never saw him in the temple, never saw him, I guess, just living, right? Um, so I thought that was interesting. Maybe you guys can add more on that. I hope uh, Noel adds on number 18. I'm not going to say anything, but I hope he talks about the true seed in him. Um, and then a few more things, and then I'll give it up to Noel. Um, covenant of salt. So in 23, it's totally different than the Greek. Um, if a man on the Sabbath day receives circumcision... But the law of Moses should not be broken. Are you angry at me? Because I've made a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day. And in the Hebrew, it says, if a man goes into a covenant of salt on the Shabbat, and he does not loosen himself, is the law of Moshe destroyed? Um, and we can go, you know, into the covenant of salt. Um, you know, it's, it was used in the Middle East to seal an agreement. It has, you know, salt has cleansing and purifying those effects. Um, some people say it's, you know, it's part of the renewed or new covenant. Um, but I wanted to point out Leviticus 2. Um, it's talking about the first fruits being sealed with salt. So as an offering of first fruits, you shall bring them to the Lord, but they shall not ascend as a soothing aroma on the altar. Every grain offering of yours, moreover, you shall season with salt so that the salt of the covenant of your God will not be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. So it's it's a sealing, it's a cleansing or purifying. I thought that was awesome. Um, just two more as I split my notes up. Um, twenty four is awesome. He, I love that he's like. Therefore, do not judge according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Um, Isaiah eleven is one of my favorite verses because it talks about the seven spirits, but it also talks about Yeshua judging. And Isaiah eleven four says. But with righteousness, he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the humble. He's judging based on his father's law. He's not going to go against the Torah and that the Torah is righteousness. So he's not going to be judged on what he sees or what he hears, but righteousness. And then finally, um, 25 through 27. Um, so some of the sons of Yerushalayim said, is it not this man whom we want to put to death? Behold, he speaks openly, but we do not say anything to him. Do the leaders truly recognize that this is the Mashiach? However, we do not know this man. Where is he from? And Mashiach, when he comes, no man will know where he is from. 
Um, again, they never see, they never knew him as a kid. They didn't see him in the temples. To me, that was interesting. And I just want to take it to Second Ezra 13.25. In that, you saw a man going up from the heart of the sea. That is the one whom the Most High has been keeping for many ages. He will liberate God's, God's creation all by himself, and he will put in order those who are left. And I know Enoch also talks about he was preserved for the proper time and then shown. Um, so I thought that was kind of cool that it's... And I'm also asking the question, like, it's to me, it's mind-blowing that they... He obviously was doing miracles at the age of 12 in Luke, and yet these guys never heard of him. And so I, I just want to know where was he. So I have a few more later on, but I'll go to Penel. Yeah, so I, I have a little bit of a different take on this chapter because I, I don't think they didn't know who he was. In fact, they had already commented, is this not... Uh, we see this in the Gospel of Matthew, including the Hebrew Gospel of Matthew, and we've already read this here, where they say, is this not the son of, you know, uh, Yosef and Mary? Uh, you know, d does he not come from Galilee? And so it, there were some elements that they didn't understand. Like, they do point out here that, you know, I thought I thought he was, be, you know, it's, it was almost irony, because Johanna uh, never seeks to correct this, I don't think. But they're like, we know he was born in Bethlehem. But they're like, isn't he supposed to be born in the city of, of David, which is Bethlehem? And uh, and so John kind of just leaves you hanging here. Like, I guess you're supposed to know that or something because they didn't know that. But I do think that they knew who he was. In fact, this chapter, one of the things that really struck me here was that this really uh, relates to what, as a group, we've gone through with uh, the infancy gospels, particularly the infancy gospel of Thomas. But one book we did not read, which I absolutely love, is the infancy gospel of Matthew. And so what, let me just kind of quickly explain here. One of the things we, we see, um, we see kind of a multiple dimensions of what belief is and what disbelief is in this chapter. There's so much going on. For example, Rob pointed out that uh, Yahushua's brother, and I guess you could debate whether it's his brother in the Yahudim or his personal brothers. I kind of think here it is is his physical uh, half-brothers, um, either through Yosef or if uh, Miriam did have children later on. We know that Yaakov, of course, came from uh, Yosef, uh, a half-brother. But it says that they... Um, so let me contrast this. So on one hand, you have his brothers who don't believe him yet. What, what does that mean? They believed the miracles. Remember, his own mother, Miriam, she's trying to get him out into the public um, at the wedding at, in Galilee and be like, can you, you, can you do something about the lack of wine? He's like, woman, why are you involving me yet, right? So I think his brothers are in the same camp where they're like, they know that their brother can do these miracles and these amazing things. What they don't believe is, is actually what his mission is, you know, who he's is and this is this is where belief is so important because we have all these you know people out there but go like oh well i believe that jesus existed and died for my sins you know and it's like oh okay you know you, you believe in something everybody believes in something but we want to make sure we're believing the right thing right um but as we go down a little bit in verse uh, 15 specifically uh michael which you commented on it says, and the Yahudim were astonished and said, how does this one who did not learn know literature? So here's something they do know about him. They know that he didn't learn. So they did know something, right? Like if somebody just showed up and I had never seen that person before, he just shows up in my town performing miracles, I couldn't say whether he was learned or not. 
uh, because I know nothing about him, right? Well, this is, um, let me read to you from, uh, this comes from the Infancy Gospel of Matthew chapter 30. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but the context here is that I'm not sure how old Yahusha is at this point. He might be like five years old, but let me just, I'll give commentary on it afterwards. Now, a certain Jewish schoolmaster named uh, Zacchaeus, it could be like a form of Zacchaeus, heard Yahusha thus speaking, and seeing that he could not be overcome from knowing the power that was in him, he became angry, and began, began rudely and foolishly and without fear to speak against Yosef, his father. And he said, Dost thou not wish to entrust me with thy son? that he may be instructed in human learning and in reverence. The key there is human learning. But I see that Miriam and thyself have more regard for your son than for what the elders of the people of Yashorel say against him. So right here, he's, he, this, this teacher of the law is pointing out that, you know, Yahushua is only like five years old, maybe as old as seven. I'm not sure how he is old as in this passage. But he's like, you guys have regard for your son and what he can do, but you're taking away the power from us. We're supposed to be the ones who teach him. He's supposed to be educated by our traditions. And let's carry on. You should have given more honor to us, the elders of the whole congregation of Yasharel, both that he might be on terms of mutual affection with the children and that among us, he might be instructed in Jewish learning. Now, it goes on and on from here, and there's several different stories. This is, of course, again, the, go the infancy gospel of Matthew. But here we see that, um, that uh, of course, when Yahushua goes to these schools, we, he starts instructing the teachers. And none of the teachers could hold them in their schools, and so they had to keep releasing him. And so I think that's the idea here, that what we actually see, what, what the, the, the Pharisees, the teachers' law, are frustrated with, is that he wasn't properly taught. Because if he was, he would be advocating for their oral traditions. You know, like like Fiddler on the Roof, right? There's a whole song, tradition, tradition, right? They have this tradition that they are supposed to carry down if you're a good Jew. And he was not a good Jew because he didn't do that. He was taught by his father. And he, of course, says that in here. Um, so I think that's kind of really what I wanted to cover there. Um, I did have one other note before I turn it back to Rob. Is that the, uh, the some of the things that some people in the crowd were saying? We see them saying two things in the Greek. It says, "And there was much murmuring among the people." There it is again, the murmuring concerning him. For some said he is a good man. All right. Others said, "Nay, but he deceiveth the people." And I want I want to hone on that word deceive. I mean, you could almost say the same word as beguile, right? We could almost substitute that, that in there. He beguiles the people. Well, here's what the Hebrew says. We know that uh, some say he's good, and others, he is not. But he makes the people rebellious. So, um, there, I kind of, it's almost like to beguile or deceive someone is the same as to cause them to rebel. So I thought that was kind of interesting there. I just wanted to point that out. But back to you, Rob. Okay. Yeah, I'll follow up with you regarding the uh, that verse twenty-seven. Uh, I think you I think you uh, explained that one very well. 
you know, where they said that he was not learned. And, you know, as you said, on um, what you shared and also the infancy gospels, we see when Joseph brought him to a teacher, he embarrasses the teacher. The teacher basically says, I can't teach this child. He, he, uh, he's taught me. So, yeah. So I think that's why he could not be in any of the, uh, any of the sanctuaries being taught because no, I don't think anyone could. And, and, and all that did uh, quickly did not want to uh, soon afterwards. Uh, I, I wanted to quickly touch on uh, verse 18, you know, people seeking signs. Uh, and I know, I think Michael brought it up and, you know, you seek a sign of him. He did not have a true seed in him. And I, I always wonder about that, that many of us or many people, seek or ask for signs you know yeah if you're real show me this or do that i think if i think if if your heart is in the right place of what why you're asking for a sign you know especially for revelation of him i i think uh he will provide that uh but when you're seeking a sign for selfish gain and selfish reasons you're just you're you're wasting wasting your breath but um also on verse 23 the covenant of salt piece. Well, in, in that verse, we see Yahusha explaining his healing on the Sabbath. So he's 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 here's a here's a, here's a spot where he's explaining you know the healing that he did on the Sabbath, uh, because we see two laws conflicting. You know, which one do you follow? Uh, does the Sabbath rule, uh, or does the circumcision on the eighth day, if it falls on the Sabbath, which one do you do? Well, here obviously he's saying you know you. Go 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 for it and get the circumcision done on the eighth day. Um, talking about the healing on the Shabbat, you know, healing healing is 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 life is love is that is obviously trumps the Shabbat on not working. It is it is something that is greater uh, uh, to be done to people and for people uh, on the Shabbat. So it's it's understanding that the the laws need to be evaluated in in the sense of what what makes sense in love and process and many of us get caught up on on the the letter of the laws and trying to to do so and uh i think it can be easily worked out if you if you look at these examples and and others um then I wanted to talk about 28, verse 28. Uh, Yeshua uh, called out in the sanctuary and taught and said, so here he is. He, 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 uh, he starts to actually talk in, in the sanctuary during, the, during this, this time. And do you know where I come from? Because they're, you know, they're, they're questioning, oh, this man's from Galilee, you know, Messiah doesn't come from Galilee. Where's he from? And they're saying, well, no one knows no one knows where the Messiah comes from. Well, he's explaining it. That he comes from above. That he comes from a place that is not here on earth. You know, once again, he's taking the physical that they're all looking at, and he's trying to explain here that it's the it's the spiritual, it's it's these, you know, he's from above, it's the spiritual side, but they're looking for the uh, the physical side. Well, he said he's from Galilee. Well, no, no, he's telling you he's from above. He's, you know, the Father has, has sent him from 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 above down to here. So uh, that ex that to me explains 
that one to to that point. And on 29, uh, okay, so in the, in, the, in the sanctuary, he stated, they did not know the Father. So when he said that to the Yahudim that were in the sanctuary, I mean, think about that. They're in the temple, and he's telling them they don't know the Father from what he just explained. Uh, just imagine the hatred or or the audacity of him saying that to them in the sanctuary they they obviously they wanted to get a hold of him so that just really explain expounds on 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 that statement how profound that was for him to make that claim to them right in their face in the sanctuary lastly uh on verse 38 uh, whosoever believes in me, as the scripture says, a stream of living waters will run from his belly. Once again, I go back to Sirach 24, 30 to 32. And I, wisdom, this is wisdom speaking, and I came out of a stream from a river and as a conduit into a garden. I said, I will water my garden and I will abundantly and, and will water abundantly my garden bed. And behold, my stream became a river. And my river became a sea. I will yet bring instruction to light as the morning, and will make these things to shine forth afar. So we see the Ruach bringing instruction to light, light Yeshua, you know, uh, and the shining from afar, us being the lamps with the Ruach within us, and the reference of starting as a river and becoming a sea as more and more people are born throughout eternity it becomes greater and greater uh of those who come into the kingdom so i think uh that that ties in very well with his statement here concerning the ruach hakodesh with this uh, uh stream of living waters that come forth from the belly so i, I thought that was great and then uh uh quickly Yeshua was, we know that Yeshua started, I think he started speaking in the middle of Sukkot. He started speaking, and then at the last day, I think I remember seeing that twice on there. And note, Nicodemus steps in at the end here, and we already know his interactions with the Messiah. And we'll see further down here more uh, of Nicodemus, you know, being in still within the, the, the group of the religious leaders but able to see Yeshua, and I think, as, as we'll, we'll see, that uh, he becomes greater and greater in his faith towards, towards Yeshua in that sense. So that's really all I got to add on, on this chapter, and following up with you guys. Anything more, Michael, you want to follow up with? Sure, yeah, I have a few. Uh, number 37, just a real quick cross-reference. Um, and then the great day of the feast. Yeshua stood, calling out, saying, If anyone does come unto me, he will drink. And this is, I think, a foreshadowing the, the wedding supper. So, Revelation twenty two seventeen, The Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without cause. So, I thought that was awesome. Um, number 51 and 52. So, 51, I was reading, and it appears... Like, do you not know that your Torah does not judge one unless it first hears him or unless it knows what he does? And that's that's mostly a rabbinical teaching from what I've researched. Um, and then 52, 
they're, they're asking him if he's from Galilee. And they said, you know, you'll search the scriptures, you'll find that no prophet comes from Galilee, yet, yet you, you, Jonah and Nahum were prophets from Galilee. So it's like they didn't even know their own scriptures. Um, I was researching that. Um, and then finally, this will be a good one. Um, 33. How? This like, blew my mind here, guys. Um, then Yeshua said to them, you have let yet little time. Afterwards, the Father who sent me will come. Whoa, 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 what's going on here? The Father's coming before Yeshua? What does that even mean? Um, that's not, to me, that just, I have no idea. I have no idea how to answer that. Um, you have little time. Afterwards, the Father who sent me will come. Is that, I don't know. So, and then you look in 35 and 36, is not in the Hebrew. Yet in the Greek, it's talking about the dispersion. The dispersion. That's huge in the eschatology circles of the lost tribes being dispersed. And, oh, it's the gathering. And in the end times, you know, he'll, he'll really gather his people. Second Exodus. That's missing from the Hebrew. I just think post-mill. There's something going on here where is, in 33, is he talking about you have little time before I come. And then afterwards, the father will come. And that's when the fire comes down. And then the dispersion is lost in the Hebrew? I don't know. Um, I don't have answers, but I have questions. And that's all I have for this chapter. But I'll leave it, leave it with that. And hopefully Noah can fill in the gaps there. I was, I was thinking about that passage a lot, too. I mean, that really stuck out to me. Um, and let me just read this again once more for the listener. Then Yeshua said to them, You have little time afterwards. The f and so we, we see here, and I'm going to go back and talk about this more about what you had said earlier, the seed. The context here is people want to kill him. And, you know, he, he's, he's telling him like, I know you want to kill me. And, you know, there's little time left. And he says, afterwards, the father who uh, sent me will come to seek me, but you will not find me. And you are not able to come to the place where I will be. All right. So uh, here's the, here's the short of it. The place where he's going, where they can't go, that's to the father's presence. Um, and we know that um, this is before the Ruach HaKodesh comes because it says here, verse 39, and he said this concerning the, the Ruach HaKodesh, which those who believe in him would receive. For he had not yet given the Ruach because Yeshua had not yet come into the light of the Most High. So the order of events is they kill you, Yeshua, uh, the Father comes for him. He goes with the Father to the place where they uh, cannot go, and then the Ruach HaKodesh comes down. But, yeah, that, that, really, that really stuck out to me, because nowhere else have I ever read, I mean, I don't know if there's a second witness on this, nowhere else have I read that the Father who sent me would come to seek him out. It's, it's like they killed his son, and his father goes to resurrect him. We, we do see passages in Scripture where now we would, I guess we could argue whether it was Yahusha the Word, uh, or the Son, or the Father. We see an interesting passage like in the Tower of Babel, where, um, and I, I should have been prepared to, to read from that, but we see where Yahuwah is talking to his council up in heaven and saying, uh, you know, anything they put their mind to, they can do. But before he destroys it, it actually, there's a passage that says Yahuwah actually goes down to investigate which is really interesting. And so we could, we could argue, well, was it Yahushua or the Father? 
Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if this was a, a first time that the father went looking for his son on the earth um, or if it had happened before. But yeah, that it, it shows to me when I read that, it shows the power of the love of the father has for the son. If he, if, if, if I'm reading this right and he actually gave up his first estate, um, you know, in the, the highest heaven to come down and to actually, actually animate, resurrect his son. That being said, because the context here is people wanting to kill him, uh, you had pointed out the, 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 the seed passage here, and this comes from verse 18. It's not in the Greek. Uh, there, uh, it, the Greek says, He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory. But he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no righteousness is in him. And then we see in the Hebrew, uh, whosoever speaks of himself seeks his own honor. Truly, whoever seeks a sign of him who sent him, he does not have true seed in him. And um, I've gone back and forth on this. I, I really don't know if this is speaking specifically of, of the seed of the serpent. Or if this is just the seed of Yah versus the seed of, of Satan in a um, theological sense. What, um, what I do want to point out, though, is that, okay, so the people say here in, in a couple verses down, they say, the company answered and said, it is Satan who wants to kill you. Now, this is, of course, in the Hebrew. And when I read that, I'm like, I, I almost feel like uh, uh, that the people are saying, Yahushua, what, what, you say, you know, we're trying to kill you. But no, that's like, you're trying to martyr yourself here. Satan wants to kill you. But it, there's, there's a layer to this. And this is why I said this chapter has so many layers between his brothers and the, the, his disciples and the, the Yahudim. It's actually, in my opinion, Satan speaking these words that are kind of, um, accusing him, casting it on him. Because when you go a few verses down, we then see the people saying, the same people are asking, is it not this man whom we want to put to death? So, Yahushua first says that they want to put him to death. And then they're like, no, Satan wants to put you to death. But then a few verses down, they say, yeah, we do want to put you to death. So... <laughs> I it just and this is right after right after he just said uh, he accuses them of of being a seed that's not from the father and then he calls them all liars and who's the lie who's the father of lies it's Satan so there's some there, <laughs> it's almost like Yahushua's like oh you don't want to kill me huh well you're all liars <laughs> like that that would that would get a posse really quickly. Uh, when the Pharisees are here, like you're unlearned, you're unknowledgeable, you don't learn our traditions, and Yahushua's like, yeah, well, you're liars, you know, you're 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 not of my seed, whatever. Like that's that's going to get people to want to kill them really quickly. So, uh, anyways, there's so much going on here, and we could talk about this for hours. But um, Rob, Michael, if you have anything else, and then I thought maybe we could open it up to any questions. Yeah, I'll, I'll follow up with what you just said there uh, on. Like verse eighteen, you know, they, th those are seeking their own honor. They, you know, in in reference to that verse, is they're they're. I think I think they're not the true seed. Uh, it's the the humble ones. Uh, that is the the true seed. The ones that are walking in the spirit uh, will be known for that. And I think you got on the thirty three was very good uh, explanation. I think that. Uh, Regarding 
the father who sent will come will come to seek me don't know if he's leaving his first estate or anything like that i mean i know we we see him using agents and so forth to get things done the word of the lord uh angels the the ruach etc so but it's not fully clear with that statement but um would be interesting uh regarding that and i think i think that was that was i think it was something else but i can't think of it right now um oh and back to what you were saying uh they were called they, he called them liars and he also stated that they did not know the father i mean can you imagine uh being called liars in the temple and being told that they don't know the father uh that's that's just that's just fighting words right there i mean up in a roar there so that was yeah that was all i wanted to add in follow up with what you just said Noel. uh michael anything to add uh no no no. Well, then I think we. I feel like we have um, di digested this pretty well, and I wanted to open this up to uh, anyone listening. If you have any questions or observations, this would be a good time to uh, bring it forward or forever hold your peace. I really enjoyed it. I thought that you explained it very, very well and covered just about everything. I had questions and then you'd answer them. All right. Um, and I appreciate having Rob and Michael here. And they both, you know, will, as Michael said, sometimes thunder gets stolen. Uh, but they also point out things that I miss and uh, that really just gets me thinking about stuff. So, Robert, Michael, would either one of you like to close in prayer tonight? Yeah, I can do so. Father, we give thanks for this time together that we have in in studying your words and sharing it in with what the Ruach is speaking to us, what to cover. As as you know, each one of us are doing our own separate studies and then coming together. And so each one of us you're speaking through to share what is on on our hearts to be shared and for us to examine and for others to hear and for them also to take these words and to apply them in our lives and examine them themselves. Father, we, we thank you for this opportunity and this time, as always, to, to read your words, a living word, and to be able to uh, discuss this among, among the brethren. And we praise you, your mighty holy name. Uh, we thank you. And may you bless all those that hear this, that they may take these uh, these these words and these discussions, and it be a blessing unto them. Father, we give thanks and praise to you, and uh, we pray for all those out there who are listening, for them, their situations, their hearts, their path that they're on, that you may guide them. May they see the light. May they be the light. Father, and may uh, they bring, bring, may they bring forth love, joy, and peace in themselves and to others. I ask this in Yahushua's name. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. You know, when it, it's amazing that I've been, um, you know, reading the Bible since the time I could read. And I think it, it's been the same. I think it's pretty much been the same for you, Rob. I'm not sure. And then Michael, I'm not sure how long you've been reading it, but it's 
it is so clearly, you know, when people tell me like this was written as some sort of psyop or like, you know, to control, to control people or, or whatever else, I'm like, there is no way this book is so, there is so much depth in this book. It is so complex. It is a living document that I can only imagine that if, the, if, you, if somebody were to pick up this book and start reading it and it is a dead document and it, they don't see anything in it, it's not speaking to them. It's because they don't belong to Yahusha. They're not giving to him by the father. Um, this book, there's just so much. It's just an amazing book. And I, I'm even falling more in love with the gospel of John in the Hebrew gospel. And um, it, there's just so much to love here. Thank you for everybody for coming out tonight. And of course, we'll be doing this again next Sabbath and the next Sabbath. And then when we finish the uh, Hebrew gospel, we'll have more uh, scripture and books to go through. Um, thank you, everybody, for coming out. And let's open up the floor. We, don't, we can continue talking about this longer, but if there's anything else people want to talk about tonight, I'm all ears. Yeah, I, you know, I love how we see the figurative speeches that the Messiah gives uh, in so many places. And, and then when, when, when he explains them, it's like, ah, you know, and, and it's like each one of these parables, each one of these analogies he gives, it, when, once you understand them, it gives so much depth and if you look at all all of the terms in in the context, you'll you will very well begin to see how the son, the father, and the ruach share similar similar uh, aspects. Uh, you know, with the bread of life, the living waters, and how they all tie in with each other. You know, the the this. This, these concepts so it's 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 a pretty amazing thing when you start to break them down and and see them uh what they're really speaking about and because before i know when i is in my evangelical walk it was very basic level you know once saved you know just do good be be a good a do-gooder and and it wasn't very it wasn't very detailed as to what that what that meant in well what that really meant uh, until, you know, studying the Torah and in and, and much more depth, I'm, I'm able to now see what it really means with a lot of these sayings and what he's talking about. And in, in, in when you could, I guess what I'm saying is when you could put all of the puzzle pieces together, not to say I could put them all together, but when you start putting them together, you start to seeing a bigger picture of things and better understanding the purpose the why and all of those doubting questions that you may have had because maybe th these few verses or this chapter or this book didn't make sense to you, so you start doubting. Now you can start understanding these concepts and these writings better so that your foundation of faith is even stronger. So I, I think that's what I'm trying to try to say with that. Yeah. I find well, Go ahead, Rebecca. Um, I'm finding all these uh, Hebrew texts especially helpful because a lot of times I don't understand what the, the, the King James is talking about sometimes because I don't have any context to put it in. Like, I know nothing about Hebrew culture, ancient 
Hebrew culture. So sometimes you get little clues from the Hebrew that explain what they're talking, you know, and, and so the more you guys can explain, in fact, I was kind of wondering about the whole salt covenant thing. I, I, I have no context whatsoever to put that in. So if you could explain that, then maybe I can understand that verse a little better. Rob, I'll put you on the spot for that one because I didn't. I did not have time to research that. I wanted to look up that uh, salt covenant and go, "What is this talking about?" And it just didn't happen. So that because that, uh, that wasn't in the Greek. Yeah, I know Michael did that one. Uh, it, it, I, I didn't jump in. I didn't go deep into that one at all. Uh, it, that one didn't come to me. But you know, there is. What I recall is that it is, well, you know, I can't recall the actual covenant, but I do know that the, the salt is used in the sacrifice, in with, in with the sacrifices, and I cannot recall what the salt covenant specifically was about. I think Michael did that one. And I think he's, he jumped off. He had, he had something to do uh, right after this. So I apologize. Michael will be able to answer that. I know he, I know he researched that one. Yeah, maybe we'll address that. Uh, that's an important one. So maybe we'll address that next week. So, uh, big. you said big difference between Hebrew and King James in 733 through 34. Let me look that up. Okay, so... Uh, are you sure? I mean, the big difference, I'm only seeing... One little switch, but okay. So then said Jesus unto them, Yet a little while I am with you, and then I go unto him that sent me. Then Yeshua said to them, You have yet little time. Afterwards, the Father who sent me will come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. That's what we were talking about. That um, the we I, there was nowhere else in Scripture where I've read that the Father will come. Right. So, but I, as I explained, that there it seems to be. However that works, Rob hinted at the fact it could be agency, that it could be the father comes through the agency of someone. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I read that, that like the father came and resurrected him, and I don't see an issue with that at all. Uh, this would happen, of course. The father coming, to me, contextually takes place before the Ruach HaKodesh comes down, because he says a little further down, if I can, I need to pull this back up and read it, that the the Ruach, uh, I, I, am I on someone else's speaker? For he had not yet given the Ruach because Yeshua had not yet come into the light of the Most High. So it's almost like maybe the Father goes and gets him. Um, I'm not sure how that you know works exactly. Uh, but he goes, he finally, at the ascension, uh, he goes up to the Father, and he's in the light of his presence, and then the Ruach HaKodesh comes down. So that's how I'm reading that. Well, another thought that came to my mind is when Yeshua uh, passes away on the cross, we know he goes to Sheol, and perhaps that is where the Father comes to get him uh, up to the king, back to the kingdom. I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, because it doesn't specifically say here, but when we read other other books and what context that we do have here in the four gospels that he, he goes to Sheol and it says, you know, he he's gone for three days in the heart of the belly, similar to uh, the sign of Jonah. 
and perhaps that is that is where uh maybe, you know the father comes gets him in some manner or some way or he just gives him the power i don't know it, it doesn't specifically say but i think that is that is something that is a, a possible answer yeah, the the only other thing I'd like to add is the some of the things that I know Rebecca was mentioning that we have to keep in mind of is the idioms in in Hebrew or really any language, but in the Hebrew is trying to recognize them. Uh, then the more we can recognize, the more we can understand what's really being said. You know, English idioms such as um, you know where someone states a statement. And you share that, and then you tell that person, well, take it with a grain of salt. Are you literally saying for them to take a one grain of salt with what was just said? No, you're, you're, you know, you're using an idiom. That's an idiom. And so that's what we see here in many of the scriptures, besides the parables, is, is these phrases, these idioms. And when you understand that and recognize them, it, it it brings clarity to what they're what what they mean and what they're saying. So those are some things I try to look out for too. So as we're looking at these, you know, if it doesn't make sense, well, if it doesn't make sense, he must be trying to say something here that is perhaps an idiom or play on words, something to that effect. And uh, and then of course you always wonder if it was translated properly, and you got to look that up too. So. Well, the thing I'd like to point out is. With the major change, and so people who have this argument about um, how they'll hold to a point where things have already been changed, but they go, hey, you can't change this. And it's well, what I'm getting at is the name. And what has happened here is with the change from Hebrew to Greek, it's, again, for me, it's making it more impersonal. And when you read the Hebrew, it really shows you Yahuwah's whole, his, his family, his heavenly family. It really shows you that when, and even again, as you guys have shared before, how much they've changed the Lord instead of Yahuwah. And how many times they've done this. And in that people, when educated on this, it's like the argument can go one way, but it can't go back the other way. It's like, yeah, his name's Jesus. Yes, but it was, in the original, it was Aisu or Yeshua. And so it's we see it once again in people's minds, like if we want to help them, like how we see the cognitive dissonance kick in, where when you even once again try and tell them you know in the original king james i'm not sure it was the original king james but we know before it was yahuwah it was the ruach kakadesh and by just changing those words alone it's really changed how we relate once again with yahuwah and his family there was one passage in here i'm trying to find it now and i don't know if i will and I wish I would have done a better job of highlighting it because I noticed that in the Greek it referred to uh, Yahusha as the Lord. But, and I, I thought, okay, so I looked over there at the Hebrew and it just said Yeshua, it didn't say the Lord. 
And so I, I said, well, that's, that's really interesting because when you get to the, the Sefer and, you know, Pigeon has done a, a great job at the Sefer, but there's a few passages where he referred to Yeshua as, as Yahuwah. Um, and I'm like, well, that, that, that can't be, it'll be like, you know, uh, Yeshua, Yahuwah. That's what it says. Because, you know, the Greek, it says, you know, uh, Jesus, the Lord or, or whatever. And, um, and so I, I, I kind of want to be more curious about reading the rest of, of John and anywhere where it, it says in the Greek, the Lord does, does the Hebrew gospel say the Lord there? Um, and I understand there's a, there's a huge difference between Yahuwah and Adonai. But my point was again, that it didn't say the Lord in Hebrew. Um, people do call him Adon and Adonai, but it, it wasn't the, the title that we see throughout the rest of scripture of, you know, referring to the most high. Now I can't find it. I know it's in there. It was in one of the two chapters. Um, you know, it's always when I'm on the spot, I can't find it, but. Um, I do want to address the whole name change, Jesus versus, versus, um, Yahusha or Yeshua. Um, I, you know, it, it just bugs me so much every time I hear Jesus. Because, you know, if I went to uh, Spain, they might pronounce my name with a little different accent, but my name is still Rebecca. Um, it's, you know, it's not going to become Rita or, you know, Rachel. It's Rebecca or some very close version thereof. So I kind of feel like, I, well, I I wonder. Did the Greek when they when they did the Greek did did they deliberately change the name? You know, is there an agenda behind that? Especially considering, you know, all the pagan doctrines that have worked their way in and to where Christianity doesn't resemble anything, you know, that Yeshua represented. So. I have to ask if that's deliberate, and, and I kind of feel like it is. Just, just a gut instinct, and, and I just cringe because you know, quite honestly, I used to use the name Jesus as a terrible curse word, and I have yet to hear anyone use Yahusha or Yeshua, or would they even think to use that as a curse word? I know that that one will never come out of my mouth as a curse word. Well, we so, know that this. Let me just interject. We know that. The, the word Jesus has been polarizing where it shouldn't have been. So there's a couple things I think happening within scripture. One is that it's not just Yeshua, Yahusha, Yahushua, you know, becoming Jesus or Jesus or whatever. It's actually, that is all throughout scripture. Okay. It's not just the son of Elohim. For example, uh, your name is Rebecca. Well, in Hebrew, uh, for that example, your name would be Rivka. Uh, Rebecca was Rivka. Uh, she didn't marry Isaac. She married Yitzhak. Uh, their sons were, uh, their son was not uh, Jacob. It was Yaakov. Um, and so the same thing, like Yahusha's brother wasn't James. It was also Yaakov. So, and, and like we see here, it's not, you know, John, it's Yochanan, right? So there are, so the translators that were bringing this into Greek, they were, it wasn't just they were targeting 
Yahusha or Yahushua or Yeshua, they were targeting everybody and they were bringing them over into, and I don't know, I don't know why, why that decision was made. It doesn't make sense to me. If I'm, if I, you know, meet, um, you know, somebody in a different country, um, uh, take, take the word, um, the French word Elise. I, I love the, the, the French name Elise, a woman. Well, it's, it's short for Elizabeth. The German version of that is Elsa, right? Like, you know, unfortunately, the movie Frozen has forever ruined that. But Elsa is also Elizabeth. So I wouldn't go meet an Elsa or Elizabeth and go, oh, well, I'm going to call you Elizabeth because we're going to do this properly, right? No, it's like I'm going to call them by their names. Now, there, so I do think we should respect and honor their actual names. And there is a huge movement for that. For example, you know, Enoch is, it, uh, if I'm pronouncing it right, it should be uh, Hanok, Hanok, not Enoch. Uh, you know, Noah has a C in there, Noach. Um, and so I'm trying to pronounce those the best I can to, to give their names. There is something, um, that being said, I do think that uh, the Most High Elohim of Yasharel has, in a way, hidden his name. And uh, Yahusha as well. I think that there is something that they have purposely hidden their names. and. They there has been they have used the conspiracy against the Most High to do it. Like for example, uh, we all argue: is it Yahuwah, Yahuwah? Um, you know, some people say Yahweh, whatever. And then there's even more arguments beyond that. But we know that the Most High's name was taken out of Scripture about seven thousand times and replaced with the Lord. Which then you know you get into Baal territory and all that. Like, are we really calling him Baal? And that, that's that's a whole debate, but that that was a purposeful, uh, no doubt, removing of his name. And there is a conspiracy there to be had. Um, so I think one of the things, um, if I could address the why names were brought from Hebrew into Greek, is I I really think that the uh, it, it, it's a shame because we, the people reading the Bible all these years have lost our Hebrew roots. And I think that was part of the intent to not, you know, identify with the actual Hebrew culture and being what it is to be a son of Abraham and all that. And, you know, you know, inserting Greek ideas, Greek names, so on and so forth to, to kind of mask the, the, you know, the, the Hebrewness of it, the sons of Yasharel. So that's my thought on that. All right, guys. Well, um, I think with that, I'm going to close. So um, it's been a, a long, very tiresome week for me. I mean, I feel uh, kind of emotionally, physically, spiritually drained. It was a nice rest today on Sabbath, but, uh, you know, getting through the, the holidays uh, in any regards or respect is, is difficult, even if you don't, you know, celebrate them. They're still, uh, they can be tough. And, um, Anyways, uh, thank you, Rob and Michael, for once again joining me tonight. And um, shalom, everybody. We'll be on this again this Thursday and the next uh, next Sabbath. Great. Shalom. Love y'all. I really enjoy it every week with you guys. Thanks so much again.